everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. I was so astounded by all the wisdom Heather Morgan conveyed to us in her first interview with me. You can hear it all in episode nine. And she mentioned something about a connection between queer folks and autism that really piqued my interest. And so I wanted to follow up with her about that. And I thought you might want to hear what she had to say about it. It's also pretty mind-blowing. This woman is very wise. And I'm so happy to have her back again. Heather Morgan, you're back again. It was so, so great to talk with you before about coming out with a disability. Not necessarily a super visible one, but a, a disability nonetheless. Um, and I, you, you touched on something in your conversation that piqued my curiosity. And I would love to hear your thoughts on the connection of autism and queerness and a little bit of your coming out story around that, if you're willing to share that with us. Sure. I'm happy to. Um, so I, I'll start by saying um, I am self-diagnosed uh, autistic um, and I would call myself atypical autistic. Uh, so that's, that's a kind of branch of autism that has a few different um, uh, categories to a few little tweaks to it. There's a little bit less of the social um, stereotypical behaviors um, on the outside, but still a lot of the same um, social issues internally. So we just, basically we just pass as neurotypical a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but like so many adults um, in my generation, I'm, I'm 40, um, we weren't diagnosed with autism when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And nobody was looking out for it. If you weren't um, completely nonverbal all of the time with self-injurious, self-harming behaviors, um, you probably didn't get picked up on as autistic in the 80s and 90s. Like it just wasn't on people's radar. Um, and this is part of why we have such a seemingly higher rate of autism right now is, is simply that people are finally getting diagnosed with autism. Um, it's at probably a much been here all along. Age. It's been here all along. Um, and I, I don't think it's actually increased. Um, I just think we've become more aware of it. Um, I, I look in our family on both sides of the family and I won't out anyone, but there's a lot of autism in my family and in my husband's family. So it's definitely quite prevalent, but poorly, uh, diagnosed, um, and, and with the result that there's a lot of people wandering around who, who don't understand why life is so hard for them, why they just can't. There's that phrase again that we talked mm-hmm. about last time, why we just can't 
um, manage to hold down a job, just can't manage a relationship, just can't fit in, why it's so hard to keep friends, like all of these things. Um, and so for me, uh, my autism diagnosis, self-diagnosis came um, at the end of a series of diagnoses in our house. So my youngest got diagnosed with autism when she was nine. Um, she probably had the most prevalent external symptoms, was probably the most like obviously autistic from the state of like what we would know typically. But um, because autism is so prevalent in our family, um, when I when I talk to my mother-in-law, when I talk to my mom about behavior issues, about like odd parenting quirks that I was seeing in my kids, um, what I kept getting is, oh, that's just like so-and-so. Oh, that's just like so-and-so. Oh, you just need to do this. That's just fine. You know, this is, this kid's just like me. You just need to um, you know, make sure that you tell them when you wake them, when you put them to bed at night, what the next day is going to look like. And then when they get up in the morning, you just need to tell them again what the day is going to look like. And if anything needs to change in the, in the plan for the day, you just need to take a few minutes and stop and explain to them what's going to happen and then make a plan for how that's going to be okay. And then you can carry on with your day. Turns out these are all autism strategies. <laughs> So I was using, I was parenting with a number of autism strategies, so many so that in fact, when we finally got the diagnosis and we said to the doctor, so what can we do to help support? He said, well, you know, do this, 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 and rattled off this whole list. And we're like, yeah, we're doing all of that already. Thanks. <laughs> but no thanks. Like that hasn't helped us any. We went off, we found some other strategies. Uh, I teach parents about this um, as a coach now. Um, I teach partners about this as a coach now because sometimes we need them for our partners or for ourselves as well. Um, so there are lots of strategies out there that are not well known um, that can be dealt with. But once we, once we figured out that that was what was going on for our daughter, um, a few years later, we... Uh, figured out that that was probably what was going on with my partner. And then a few years after that, we figured out that was definitely what was going on for my eldest. And then a couple years after that, my eldest came to me and showed me this post from Tumblr, which I was not on because I was not a teenager in the 2010s. Um, and, and they said, mom, mom, read through this list of symptoms. I think this is you. And I read through it and I'm like, I think I checked off, I don't know, 35 out of 40 on the list. Yeah. I'm like, this is definitely me. This makes so much sense. Mm. So um, I now have all of that info on my website because I don't think it's known well enough. And I think mm. a lot of moms of autistic kids probably fall into this category and don't understand themselves as autistic and therefore don't have the tools they need for themselves to be able to function well. Mm -hmm. And it really does affect so much of my daily life when I can say, wait a second, this is a transition. I don't like transitions. I don't do well with transitions. What are my transition strategies? Okay, I'm going to use my transition strategies. I'll be back, give me five minutes. I now have tools that I can use and I can, I can, 
notice when I'm getting ungrounded and I can go off and use my strategies and I can come back and I can be grounded and we can carry on with our day. And I don't have to have a meltdown and I don't have to, you know, come apart mentally at the seams because now I have strategies for that to work. Mm -hmm. And because it's not just me who's autistic, you know, we now have strategies and language and tools for everyone in the family. And now all of a sudden we can have, you know, whole weeks go by where nobody has a meltdown. Mm. And it's brilliant. It's amazing. Mm. Because it turns out that the meltdowns and the behaviors and all of those, they happen for a reason. Right. And when we start exercising that compassionate curiosity, that asking that question, like, I wonder why, like, what would it take for you to feel so overwhelmed that you needed to hide under a table and rock and moan to yourself? You would have to be really afraid of something, right? Mm -hmm. Like you might do that if you thought that there was an earthquake happening. Mm You might have done that, uh, you know, during World War II and in London when the bombs were falling from the sky uh, and you, you couldn't get to your Anderson shelter in time. You were supposed to take cover under a table. And they had these really solid tables that they sold at the time that were meant to be able to hold the debris off of you for long Mm. enough for rescuers to be able to come in and find you. That's why you hide under a table. You hide under a table because you think your very life is going to be threatened. Mm. So if that's the reason for the behavior, yelling at someone, forcing someone to come out, dragging someone kicking and screaming out from under the table, that's not going to fix the problem. That's just going to make it worse. That's going to make it more intense. But if instead you start asking, well, I wonder why, What was happening just before that? Well, in this particular example that I'm using, uh, we were talking about uh, an unjust situation. We were talking about the fact that uh, women only, white women in Canada only got the vote in um, 1921 in most of Canada. And that uh, black and indigenous women in Canada didn't get the vote until much later than that. And that there were countries in the world where women didn't get the vote until the 60s and even into the 70s. And my daughter, who is very, very, very sensitive to injustice, felt so deeply and so empathetically the emotional cost of women not having a right to vote, Hmm. of living in a world where that was possible, that that made her so afraid for her well-being that she had to hide under the table. Hmm. Well, that's going to change my response. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, I'm not going to yell at her. I'm not going to pull her, drag her out from under the table. Now I'm going to get under the table with her. I'm going to sit beside her. I might hold her if that's comfortable for her. I might just sit beside her and breathe beside her for a little bit. And after a while, once she knows that I'm there, once she knows I'm in the thick of it with her, I might tell her that I know that it's scary. It's scary to think of a world where your voice might be silenced, where you might not have the right to speak, where you might not have the right to have uh, a say in what happens in the world you live in. That's scary. Let me sit with you in that for a little while. 
and I can't necessarily fix it, but I can join her in the middle of that. And as I join her in the middle of that, then she can know that she's not alone. That even if the great big huge world out there doesn't know what the in here, in this house, in this space, at this table, she is safe and she is known and she is precious and valued. And from that, we can start to build a relationship that makes her feel safe and known and precious outside of the table. So she gets to the point where she can just come to me and say, mom, I'm scared. Mom, I just read about something bad that happened in the world. I, I don't know what to do about it. So much so that that same child, we just finished rewriting the grade 10 history curriculum for her. Um, because, because with COVID, everything was online and the way that it was written, it didn't work for her autism. It wasn't communicated clearly enough. And I said to the teacher, look, I have a history degree. I am willing to put in the work to rewrite this material so that she can understand it. If you're willing to give her a mark at the end of the semester and the teacher, God bless her said, yes. Hmm. And then it was spring of 2020 and I got to have all sorts of fun putting all sorts of anti-racist, <laughs> uh, uh, full disclosure, indigenous studies in um, black studies and immigration studies into her 20th century Canadian history course. So <laughs> we had fun, but we talked about so many unjust situations. Mm. And when I compare the 16 year old that I went through that with to the nine year old that was hiding under the table, mm. It boggles my mind to see the progress because she now feels safe enough that we can have genuine conversations about uh, racism and about right. uh, anti-black immigration policies and anti-Asian um, anti immigration policies in Canada and talk about the legacy of Indigenous schools and segregated schools which weren't closed until the the you know, the residential schools and the segregated schools, the last schools were closed in the 1980s and 90s. And we could have a conversation about mummy being her age when the last schools were closed. Mm -hmm. And we could have that conversation and she didn't fold up into a ball mm -hmm. because she knew she was safe and she knew she had a voice and she knew there were things she could do. And so we then went and did things. Mm -hmm. And we then went and showed up and wrote blog posts and, and, and created content and, and started to have a voice about how we wanted the world to be different than it was right now. Mm -hmm. And that sensitivity can now be her superpower rather exactly. than a liability. Exactly. Now oh. she wants to go off and study anthropology and see how she can change the world if she understands us as humans and, and how we work and how we, how we think and how you create social change hmm. and how you create cohesive connected cultures that feel safe and known and precious within themselves. And so don't have to be aggressive and violent in their pursuit of um, their own safety. They can be welcoming and places of inclusion and belonging instead. Amazing. And I don't remember what the question was and I'm probably way <laughs> off now, but that was interesting, right? <laughs> I know. I was just thinking, this is the coming out chronicles. How do we get back to mm. what we were coming yeah. out about? There was Sorry, another aspect Nancy. of the coming out that you were going to yeah. share too. Yeah. So that was, that was all of the, that was the autism piece. That was understanding like, what is autism? How does that work? And how can it 
be something that, like coming out as autistic can become this story of of hope and possibility and next steps which right. is what you like yeah. to ask on your podcast but then the other side of it was like how does autism and queer identity fit together mm. and i don't have a lot of like um detailed stats because they don't really exist but i have a lot of um you know, just sort of experience with there being this significant overlap between autism and queer identities mm -hmm. and particularly autism and trans identities, especially trans identities that fall outside of the binary. So my eldest is trans um, and autistic and I don't think they have brought home any trans friend in the last five years who wasn't also somewhere on the autism spectrum. Wow. Now, obviously that's a subset, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but in talking with uh, another autism coach um, in my community, we, we've had this conversation. She's to know that like the percentage of, of LGBT individuals sort of like in the general public, um, is is maybe at the like 10% rate would you say um i'm trying to trying to remember that number off the top of my head um but in the autistic community it can be more than 25% mm. um so uh that's that's huge with yeah. all of the uh re related um issues around suicidality and around um, uh, mental health issues and all the rest that happen when we don't come out, right? right? And it can be really hard for folks who are already struggling with being super, super empathic, um, hyper-emotional, hypersensitive to other people's emotions. Uh, it can be really hard for them to come out because they're um emotionally attuned to the idea that other people maybe don't like that don't feel comfortable with that um there's also an element of like um you know not really getting why people are so concerned about gender being expressed in a certain way you know that this is just me like why does everybody have a problem with it like i i don't you you draw a box that looks like this and you call this box female and then you draw another box that looks like this and that you call this male and I don't think I fit in any of these boxes they don't make sense to me so like could I have a not box please hmm. and I think that that experience is something I see reflected over and over and over again within the the autistic community um and you know there's there's people i i can think of who are already out you know in general and then there's other people i can think of who aren't yet feeling comfortable enough to be out but but in both cases there's a a really strong sense of like my autism and my my not cis identity um they they're connected 
They go together. I don't understand gender the way you want me to understand it. I can't perform gender the way you want me to perform it. Uh, I don't understand, you know, attraction, you know, sexual attraction the way you seem to want me to understand it. Um, because of sensory issues, there's um, more likelihood to be on the extremes of sort of the ACE uh, spectrum, you know, ACEs on one side of it, but there's, there's also like, you know, quite, quite intense, high sexual desire. And both of those things seem to be more prevalent um, in the autistic community because, because we end up in terms of sensory issues being very sensory seeking or very sensory avoiding um, mm. in terms of those things. So, so there's also, I would say more, um, autism I see in the kink community for the same reason. Um, they're just that, that intense desire, you know, so, or, or, or again, that intense, like, nope, don't want it. Don't want to be part of it. That's not comfortable for me. Um, seems to be more prevalent. And I think like autism is just, autism is often very much a, about extremes we can get locked into certain ways and patterns of behaving that we find a way to make work and then it's it takes a very unique situation for us to be able to find a different less intense way of being and we might not want that even if we could find it we might like our intense ways of being right and when they don't work for us, we might not be able to find an alternative because typically, you know, the, the sorts of things that we typically use for mental health supports uh, don't work well for folks who have autism. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm part of a number of, like I, I follow a number of other autistic adults um, on, on Twitter and, and, the conversation very frequently boils down to like, have you ever found a mental health professional who understood us, who could <laughs> actually help us? Like, has anyone actually found something that works? Um, and so this is, this is a very, very common reality of just not having the tools available to be able to find and build a world that works well for us. Um, and so for a lot of people, the first I think the first sort of breath of hope for them is when they realize that gender can be bigger than just a binary mm. or when they realize that sexuality can be bigger than just a binary, that, that you could be attracted to all sorts of people that you, you might not be attracted to people sexually, that that might not be part of what you are and that that's, that's still valid. That's still okay. Or that, that you could have a much broader interpretation of gender you could you could wear uh, a skirt and put eye makeup on and still be comfortable with your uh, male genitals and that could be okay um, but that's not really like part of our standard definition of what trans means you know what I mean right. so I think that there's there's more scope, there's more space for options and possibilities um, 
in an autistic brain that that really pick up on those those edge cases mm-hmm. and, and find a lot of comfort there. Yeah, I see what you're saying about like the norm for an autistic kid is so much bigger than any box that we've drawn. And so why not sexuality as well? Why not sexuality? Why not gender? Mm-hmm. Why, why not expand it to that? And one of the things that I notice in general about folks with autism is that they tend to be very good at making connections between otherwise very disparate subjects. Mm. And that's one of their superpowers. That's one of our superpowers. Um, we see a thing over here and we're like, oh, that's useful. And then we see a thing over here and we're like, oh, that's smart. We see a thing over here, we're like, oh, that's cool. And then we're like, I wonder what we could do with this. What do we, we can make with this? Whereas other people might be, I think, a little bit more just thinking in that one category. Like there are just, or just thinking in a binary set. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the autistic brain really likes interlapping sets. Mm-hmm. My husband's always talking about Venn diagrams. What's the intersection mm-hmm. of all of these things? That's the place that makes him the most happy. Like, can I intersect all of my special interests into one thing? Like, oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> the sweet spot. The sweet spot. So the more, the more things that can be in that sweet spot, the better. Right. So with having that information that it's, it's not like it's a diagnosis, but it's kind of the similar of like having some kind of seeing a pattern of this is normal <laughs> in it this. It seems category. to be happening fairly frequently. Yeah. That's what we can say. Yeah. So with that, what's opened up then like for yourself or your kids, like what's on the other side of that closet? Um, I think, I think like any coming out experience, what happens on the other side is freedom. It's a freedom to explore the breadth and the depth of, of sexuality and gender and have that be whatever it needs to be, to have that be whatever you want it to be, not feel constrained by all of these external um, expectations, but just, you know, Today you want to wear a skirt and and a pretty blouse and do your makeup and tomorrow you want to wear something completely different and you know use a binder and that's that's okay like how do you want to explore yourself and how do you want to what how do you want to engage in relationships what actually makes you comfortable like like there's all these expectations um especially in high school of like, you know, you have to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, but like, what if you don't want to have a relationship or what if you want to have a girlfriend today and a boyfriend in a few weeks and a, and a they friend in an, you know, at a later date, like is why not? Mm -hmm. What if that was all allowed? What if you, what if what mattered wasn't, the gender or the sexuality, but how we 
how we treat people, how we engage in relationships, how we communicate with the people that we are engaged in relationships with. Like maybe that's the thing that matters more than all of these other criteria. And so I think, I think for us as a family, I mean, really for all four of us, um, all of us are at some stage of that process of just like, what does this look like? And what does freedom mean for us to have the freedom to say, this is who I am. And this is how it makes sense for me to engage in relationships with the people around me. This, this makes sense to my values. This is, this is congruent with who I am and how I want to live. What could I do with that? Mm-hmm. And how could I live well with that? Mm-hmm. And I think there's enormous freedom to that. Uh, and I see, I see everyone more grounded as a result of that experience. I see everyone in the family treating the people around them better because they feel free to be honest about who they are and because they're not trying to pretend that they're somebody that they're not, all of a sudden they're engaging in their relationships much more healthily with, mm-hmm. with much less anxiety, much less angst, much less dissociation you know, much like less, I should just do this. <laughs> exactly. And, and much more, this is me. I'm here. I know who I am and I'm comfortable with who I am and I can show up fully as myself to this relationship. And, and I, and I can invite you to also show up fully as yourself to this relationship. And it's okay if you're different than me. It's okay. Yeah. If you have a different perspective than me, it's okay. If you have a different identity than me, that's Okay. What can we make of this relationship between a real me, me, and a real you, you? And how can that be healthy for both of us? Right. I don't think that that's a question that most people are getting all the way to, but I think that's the possibility. This episode of the Coming Out Chronicles was brought to you by Centered Life Coaching. We help you know yourself, to free yourself, and be yourself. And did you know we've got a retreat coming up to help you do just that? It's happening on October 1st to 3rd, and it's happening worldwide on Zoom. So wherever you are, join us. It's called the Shift Retreat, and it's for people who are sick of being stuck and are ready for a change. It's for those who want clarity on how to move forward in their career, dating life, spirituality, or relationships. You'll leave seeing just how incredible you are and how you have already at your fingertips all that you need to make this shift happen. Are you ready to shift into living your best and fullest life? Sign up at centered.ca. Well, it's been incredible to watch you and your family do that in so many areas. Like, to be a deeply theological person active in a Christian church and come out as a mixed orientation marriage and Mm -hmm. come out as autistic at what, 37 years of age. And it's like all these different ways that you've just let yourself be really own who you are and 
create more freedom for yourself and then also create more freedom for all those around you. Like it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It has, it has been so powerfully freeing. Um, that I, like, I don't recognize myself from five years ago. Hmm. I am so much healthier person than I was five years ago. My relationships with my kids and my partner are so much deeper and stronger and more beautiful than they were five years ago. Hmm. And, and yeah, we are ridiculously blessed in the community that we happen to be a part of when all of that happened. Um, because our, our church community did love and support us through all of that. Um, disabilities and autism and, and queerness, all of it has been supported and, and loved on. Yeah, so I, I am one very, very fortunate woman. I know that. And I wish that that was everyone's story. Yeah. Um, but, but sometimes it can help to hear that it's someone's story. Yeah, and as you live that out now, you will be an emblem for others to see and others that aren't necessarily living the same story but are like oppressing that story or different things like to see it and be like oh there's another way possible maybe i need to look at this again and open up more ways for people that's that's the hope mm-hmm. that's the hope because because the reality is like i i don't know how theologically uh connected most of your listeners are and and won't assume very much there but within the christian tradition there is this idea um the words of jesus uh when when he's asked like what does it mean to be a good person how do you achieve that and jesus says um to love the lord your god with all your heart your soul your mind and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself and that in, in most of the Christian church, that is considered the, the essence, the heart of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I understand it is not lived out very well in a lot of places. So I am not, <laughs> you know, nobody's, nobody's in trouble if they're like not on board with that. That's fine. For me, I look at that and I say heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our strength is our bodies. Our hearts are our emotions. Our souls are our, our spirits, our connection to to nature, to the spiritual world, to, to breath, to life, however you understand that. And then our, our minds are, that's easy, our minds. Mm-hmm. If we cut ourselves off from our bodies, right. whether it's our queer bodies or our disabled bodies, if, our, if we cut ourselves off from our minds, whether it's our neurotypical minds or our autistic minds, whoever we are, if we cut ourselves off from our emotions and say, our emotions aren't important, we'll just shove those in a corner and make them follow some arbitrary list of rules. That doesn't work. If we cut ourselves off from our spirit, from from relationships with each other, that doesn't work, right? We become like a three-legged table or a two-legged table or a one-legged table or a no-legged table. Like, how is that helpful? So whether this is your tradition or not, like maybe you can start to see like there's this this idea of wholeness. And I think it's an idea that's found in a lot of traditions. It's found in Eastern traditions and Western traditions and and religious traditions and spiritual traditions. Like you don't have to be a Christian for this, this idea of wholeness to be something 
that you want. And I think we can't get there until we get honest about each of these areas of our lives. Our emotions, they're telling us something. That call of your spirit to, you know, go out into the wilderness for a few weeks every summer or to, um, to sit down by a, a babbling brook and just like, oh, you can breathe in that space. Like that's the call of your spirit, whoever you are, wherever you're at. Um, your mind, the way that your mind works and processes, whether, whether it's, um, you know, whether you're a visual learner or an auditory learner, whether you're autistic or have ADHD or you're, or you're neurotypical, like however that is wired for you. Maybe you've experienced trauma and your brain is wired differently because of that. All of those, that reality, the reality of, of your disabled or able-bodied body, the, the messages that your body is giving you about your sexuality and your gender, all of those things, that's what makes up the completeness of our wholeness. And until we can be whole, until we can get honest about all of those things, we can't get to that freedom that we yearn for. And that's what all of us, I think, are after at some level, right? Is for all of those things to be working in harmony with one another, for all of those intersecting circles to come together to find that space in the center of those four circles that is truly us at our best. Hmm. And that's what I long for, for, for everyone I work with. I don't care what faith tradition they're from. That's not relevant to me. That's not the point. But I do care that they find wholeness and freedom, that they find a way of living and breathing and being that is true to themselves. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that if you're still in the closet. Yeah. That's exactly why I'm doing this. Like I want everyone to get to the true essence of who they are and celebrate all the aspects of them. Like see the, the beauty and the perfection in their imperfection with air quotes. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we, yeah. And, and to see how we're all connected. Like we are all one and we all have similar things going on in our lives. They just may have a different flavor or a different chapter, but we're, we're all on this journey together. Yeah. And, and I think in, in getting honest about ourselves and who we are as individuals, like, like for real, not just like who we think we're supposed to be or the messages we got passed down from other people, but like, like the real true essence of us. When we do that, we, we get grounded in this way that allows us to let other people be different from us. You can have a different story and right. I don't have to feel threatened by that. Mm -hmm. Because I know who I am. It's right. not like I'm grasping and trying to figure out like, who am I? And like, maybe I have to mirror this person, or maybe I have to mirror that person, or maybe this is the way I have to be. No, I, once I realize I get to be me, then also you get to be you. Hmm. And it gets to be different. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because I can be like, oh, wow, I see you living authentically as yourself. I see that this is not a conflict for you. I see that there's joy and there's grace and there's love and there's creativity that flows out of the life that you're living. And I'm like, cool, I want to get to know that person. Not I have to control that person or 
or push that person away or become like that person. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. need to do any of those maladaptive responses anymore. Mm -hmm. I just get to be honestly me and let you be honestly you. And then there's like this beautiful opportunity for friendship and synergy and growth and challenge and all sorts of cool things can come out of that, right? Mm -hmm. What's coming up for me is uh, I can think about it might be kind of weird for me to be interviewing another Canadian queer life coach on my channel. And like, this is here for me to get more people to listen and more people to come and work with me. But it's not like there is a huge world and there's people that are listening that are particularly drawn to your particularities. And I can already think of a couple of people I'm going to send this to and be like, you need to listen to this because she's your girl. And I like that doesn't diminish the people that are going to come and work with me or the people that I'm here to help. Like there's so many people to help and why not celebrate all of us and all the beautiful ways that we're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because working with the right person for you, oh my goodness, it makes such a difference. Yeah. And working with the right client for you, that also makes such a difference, right? You're like, uh, I don't know about autism. Yeah. I'm not sure what to sell you about that. That would be weird, right? Yeah. And and like when we were talking the last time, we were talking about like the fact that I always wanted a, a wheelchair. And and I remember saying to my therapist, you know, she she very wise, very intelligent, very insightful woman. I would send all sorts of people her way. Uh, and and she was smart enough to be able to ask me, like, so how long have you wanted a wheelchair? And I said, um, I think the first time I thought I wanted a wheelchair was when I was about five. And she was wise enough not to like get completely confused by that. But most people wouldn't know what to do with that. And I had to go away and do some work for myself to kind of figure out what to make of that because, you know, she just didn't have the experience to be able to, to fill in all of the gaps, although what she did was huge. It was so helpful. Um, Which is to say that like, just because somebody comes up with something that you're not used to doesn't mean you can't be helpful and supportive, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's really nice to have somebody who gets it Mm -hmm. and who has those extra tools and that extra life experience and, and training and everything else to be able to show up for you in a way that is, is just unique to the situation that you find yourself in. Yeah, my wife and I have recently started meeting with a queer psychologist who's mm. doing couples counseling with us. And it just feels like, oh, such a breath of fresh air that she gets the intricate things that are coming up with a queer relationship. And two women yeah. in a relationship is different than any other relationship. Yeah. And and on the same token, like I wish I could talk to other mixed orientation couples mm-hmm. who were choosing to move forward with their relationship in ways that weren't that didn't deny their sexuality Mm -hmm. because so often that's um you know it's sort of it's chosen it's chosen for for other reasons that aren't the ones that my partner and I are choosing Uh, for us it's the right decision for us because because of the multiplexity of uh gender and sexuality between the two of us and 
um, because of the multiplexity of disability between the two of us. And there's so much more to this relationship that is worth hanging on to and working forwards with. But we've really had to get quite creative because there's very few people out there talking about these things. Mm -hmm. Very few people showing up to this conversation. And that's okay. There's lots of reasons not to show up to this conversation. Again, not trying to um, you know, suggest that anybody else needs to do this, but I think there is a space for us to do that. Mm -hmm. So, And as you show up, you're going to open up that space more and more. So. Yeah. Thank you That's for showing cool. up here today and sharing with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Coming Out Chronicles. If you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else, please share it with them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on social. I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself, free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.